we've been looking uh, this month at loving Jesus and what that looks like and how that is a marker of true resilient discipleship. And it's one of the ways that we as people who are trying to be consistent in our faith uh, and in the, the, as we faith tests and trials and challenges, we rest in our love for Jesus because it sustains us. And each week, we've challenged ourselves to see if there's any way in us that is more secular than holy, any way that's within us that is more like the world around us, or religious, where maybe we're judgmental towards others, because both of these are things that need to be cut out of our lives because they do not reflect Christ. In the first week, we focused on how God goes first. He always takes the first step in loving us, calling us, answering us. And if we think we try to go first or we get to go first, we carry a weight that we were never meant to carry, nor can we carry it. All of our efforts to go first fall short. We need Jesus to go first. We need him to be the one who takes that first step. And then we looked at another step to understand that when we do not respond to his loving call to us, um, sorry, I think I read that wrong. Then we took another step to understand that when we do respond to his loving call to us, we must respond with all that we have. We don't respond partially. We don't respond with a bit of our lives. We must surrender everything to him to keep him all and above everything else that we love. All earthly loves of our spouses, our children, our loved ones, they must pale in comparison to loving God. Some of our resiliency comes from that full surrender to him where we set everything aside and declare him as not only our first love but our preeminent love. That's exactly where the rubber, the rubber hits the road for us because there's a gravity to saying that and trying to doing that when love is expressed because in John 14, 15, Jesus says this to He says, if you love me, you will obey my commandments because love isn't just a feely thing. It's so much deeper than that. And his ask for us to love him is supposed to show up in what we do in our everyday walk of life. So if we keep in mind that loving God with all our heart and our soul and our mind and loving our neighbor as ourself, these are the commandments which on every other thing that we are supposed to do for Christ hang. It speaks to how we're supposed to live our lives. If our actions differ, differ little from the world, we deny the truth needed for transformation. And if our actions are only religious in nature, then we claim a truth but have no transformation. There's a difficulty to loving God and obeying his commands. It's the biggest thing we'll ever do in our lives, but it is also the most giving. And Jesus knows this is truly difficult. And he, and he in love, chose to go before us in showing this. In Hebrews 4.15, we read that we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are and yet without sin. 
In every respect, he faced what we face and was able to go through it. He was able to face those challenges and live without sin. And that's not for us to say, well, if he can do it, then I can do it. Because we are not God. We are not perfect. But what it does say is we have a Savior who knows exactly what we're dealing with. We have a Savior that knows what addiction could potentially look like. He knows what it looks like to be tempted to go down roads that we should never go down. And so he says, I can, I can understand what you're feeling. But he can still call us to obey him. And we can never do it perfectly, but we can apply ourselves knowing that he understands what he's asking of us. Because genuine love shows itself in willing obedience. And we see that in our lives today when we love someone, the things that we're willing to do for them the amount of time we'll spend in a shopping mall while they browse and browse and browse when we'd much rather not be there. We do things for love all the time. And Jesus is no different. He's asking of us no less. In fact, more. Because his love for us was so much more. And in our sin nature, we are left to do as we will, having been made in Christ, like uh, Pastor Ingrid was saying earlier, our new nature is meant to be lived out in that new reality. We wear that righteousness that he has for us. We love because he loved first. And yet that battle often ensues. And Paul would speak to this, the Apostle Paul, when he vexingly asked Why did he do the very things he didn't want to do and the very things he did want to do, he couldn't do or wouldn't do? And sometimes our desires and obedience line up and other times they don't. Sometimes I want to be patient and other times I want to rudely push through. Sometimes I want to be graceful and other times I want to be selfish. Sometimes I want to be good and steward my finances, and other times I just want to slap it on a credit card and pay it off later. Obviously, these are things, these are acts that we don't want to, we don't want to act on our impulses like that. We are to discipline ourselves, take our thoughts captive, crucify the flesh with its passions and desires. And the key between what we want and where we are is often found in those disciplines. So the first thing we can say today is we can't and shouldn't separate discipline from discipleship. And everyone here should take the moniker of discipleship or disciple of Jesus just as much as they should call themselves Christians. Because you are truly a disciple of Christ. Spiritual disciplines are essential practices to develop in our lives. Like in all other forms of discipline, sometimes to be who we desire most to be, we daily need to do what we may not wish to do. If you want to lose weight, you know that you have to eat properly and exercise even if you don't want to. 
You want to have some financial margin. You know that you need to get rid of debt and you need to stop spending more than you make so you can save. If you want to learn a sport or an instrument or a language, you know you need to put in the time, the effort, the sweat, and the tears to accomplish your goal. God is never against you trying to put in effort as long as you aren't trying to earn it. So we can't and shouldn't separate discipline from discipleship. And if we're honest, though, we always fall short. And in our shortcomings, what do we do but cling to the cross? We wear that righteousness of Christ as our own, and we worship. We worship because Calvary covers it all. And yet the Bible talks about us being renewed and being transformed into his likeness, growing in it from glory to glory, that our lives would more and more reflect the true nature of Christ, which means that we don't just stay put and say, man, I'm so glad that God covers it all, that the cross covers my daily habitual sin because he was never meant to do that. It was meant to cover your sin and then watch you grow to be more like Jesus. And the question that should burn in our hearts is this, how do we obey God? How do we grow in our obedience to God? And Jesus gives us, his disciples, just that promise right after he lays down that condition to his disciples about obedience. He says in the very next verse in John 14, he says, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Because disciple or discipline isn't enough. We desperately need the Holy Spirit to be our helper. Jesus knows that for us, in life, we face opposition, meaning that there is a real devil, there is evil, there are demons, there is darkness and deceptions active for which our discipline alone is not strong enough to overcome. Because discipline is something you do. But the Holy Spirit, that is God dwelling inside you. For us to show our genuine love of God by our willing obedience to keep his commandments, we need the Holy Spirit in us to help us at all times. I want you to listen to the, the next words, the next verse we say. Pay, pay attention to the intentional contrast that Jesus makes in this moment. And again, this is in the very next verse after this. He says, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. The world can't, won't receive the Holy Spirit because they don't see or know. But you know him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. 
Jesus tells them the way that he is dwelling with them, the way he was dwelling with his disciples at that moment is how the Holy Spirit would dwell with them forever. In fact, Jesus said it would be better for him to go so that the Holy Spirit could come. Seems to blow our minds that having Jesus on earth, that should be better. We should feel like it'd be much nicer to follow Jesus in person everywhere he went, watching him do what he would do. But Jesus said it was better that he would go so that we could have the Holy Spirit, so that we could go to all the corners of the world and preach good news. Practically speaking, the Holy Spirit walks with us. He watches over us and works through us. And um, many people may think that it's Holy Spirit when we say that. They think of him as either an indistinct power or a thing or a force or a presence. People often refer to the Spirit as an it And they almost think of it as something that we can control. That distinction may seem subtle or trivial, but is actually a very big misunderstanding of the Holy Spirit and his role in our lives. The Holy Spirit is part of the triune nature of God, Father, Son, and Spirit, an equal part of God. He is God dwelling with us. It's not a force. It's not batteries that go inside us that give us the power to do what he wants us to do. It is God's presence inviting us into a deeper walk with God. It's his presence leading and guiding us in all truth. It's his presence with his power enabling us to do what only God can do through our obedience and submission to him. He empowers us for his mission. But if the Holy Spirit is simply reduced to a force we can use, that means he could be diminished to an object that becomes just for our desire and our purposes. The Holy Spirit never wants to be used like that. Jesus said this in that same chapter of John. These things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. The Holy Spirit is in us. He teaches us all things and brings to our remembrance all that Jesus had to say so we can walk in all of his ways in love. The Holy Spirit comes to glorify Jesus and remind us of his teachings and he helps us understand the weapons that we have because the Holy Spirit comes with what? A sword, doesn't he? The sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And we know that for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing through to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning of thoughts and intentions of the heart. 
the Holy Spirit with that sword, the word of God, bringing to remembrance what God's word says is just as much as a weapon on us as it is for us to use against the enemy. Because it cuts to our heart. It cuts between bone and marrow in us and says, you know what your intentions are and how they don't align with Christ. You have a moment here to decide which way do you want to go. Who will you listen to, Holy Spirit leading and convicting you in this moment? Or your sinful nature wanting to take you down a place that is contrary to God's will? God uses, or the Holy Spirit will use God's word to lead us and guide us in all righteousness. He brings revelation for us to live by God's word. He doesn't bring new knowledge, but revelation of the knowledge that Christ has given us through his word to help us obey Jesus deeper. The Holy Spirit is our counselor, our comforter, and our conqueror. The Holy Spirit comes as rain and brings refreshing and restoration like we see in Acts 2.17 where he pours out his spirit on all flesh. The Holy Spirit comes as a river where out of our hearts will flow living water. We see that in John 7, 37 to 39. The Holy Spirit comes as a wind depicting God's discernment and guidance. We see that in Acts 2, 3. We cannot know the mind of God without the Spirit of God in us. The Holy Spirit comes as a seal, as a deposit, a guarantee of the final work of redemption at the end of age. We see that in 2 Corinthians 1, 21 to 22. The Holy Spirit comes as fire to work something deep in the substance of our lives that will shape things around us rather than us taking on the shape of the world. The Holy Spirit comes as a dove a gentle symbol of peace, not as the world gives, but only from Christ. You see that in Matthew 3, 16. The Holy Spirit comes to convict us of sin, comes with gifts to serve the lost and broken. The Holy Spirit teaches us about Jesus and reminds us of all that he said is true. The Holy Spirit fills us initially and again to overflowing So first, we cannot and shouldn't separate discipline from discipleship. Second, we shouldn't elevate our discipline greater than the Holy Spirit. And neither should we elevate experience with the Holy Spirit as greater than what Scripture reveals. Because when you step into experience that has a lot of your flesh involved, when you elevate it greater than what Scripture reveals, it can become a guide for you that is not fully in the Holy Spirit or fully in Scripture. So we need to make sure we do all three of those, not separate our discipline from discipleship, not make our discipline greater than the Holy Spirit, and neither letting our our movements in the Holy Spirit, those special times we have with the Holy Spirit, be greater than what God's scripture reveals to us about who God is. We seek to have an active relationship with the Holy Spirit because it is exactly what Jesus 
has intended for us. See, it was only in relationship with the Holy Spirit did he expect us to live out a fruitful life. So we do not expect, we do not seek the Holy Spirit for gifts, although he freely provides them. We do not seek him for power, and yet he empowers. We seek the Holy Spirit to be obedient to Christ in every way possible, humbling ourselves before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who asks us to obey his commands through the infilling of his Spirit. Our desperate love for Christ drives us to openly submit, to acknowledge our weakness and the need for our reliance on the Spirit. So how do we receive the Holy Spirit? The first disciples, they had no idea how to receive the Holy Spirit. They had no grid for this. It never happened before. Christ had not yet been glorified, and so the Holy Spirit had not yet been sent. But in an upper room, a unique moment happened with the sound of a mighty rushing wind accompanied by small tongues of fire resting on their heads as they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And for us today, we don't wait in an upper room searching and waiting for something we don't know what it looks like. We have 2,000 years of experience of seeing how Jesus moves to know. The word says, and Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. A little later, when they were ministering to some Samaritans, they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Receiving the Holy Spirit comes simply from our repentance, our deep and sorrowful confession of our sinful nature and turning from those ways to Christ. Baptized into this new life in Christ. Our acts of obedience on our own, it's us fighting hard, trying to earn something. But our acts of obedience empowered by the Holy Spirit allow us to be renewed in Christ, be renewed to move from glory to glory as he continually sanctifies us to look more and more like him where the things of this world grow strangely dim. Today, if you need a fresh experience of the wonderful presence of the Holy Spirit, God has already taken the first step. He has already, he's already taken that step to be here waiting for you. If you've never experienced a feeling of the Holy Spirit and you would like to do that today, we'd love to pray for you. And if you need a fresh infilling of the Spirit, our altars will be open for you to come and pray. If you just need to spend time with God, 
and pray that he will empower you for all that he has for you to do. To take that step of obedience that's been too hard for you to take in your own strength. Today, we invite you to continue to walk in or start walking in step with the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. God, we just thank you. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that empowers us to live as you call us to live. And we thank you that you are not just a force that we can call up on demand and do whatever we want with. But God, you have chosen to dwell among us and dwell inside of us, leading us and guiding us, being so close to us. God, we just thank you so much for your presence. God, we hunger and we thirst for righteousness. We hunger and we, we, we thirst for righteousness, for being right with you, God. And we pray, Holy Spirit, would you lead us and guide us in all truth. God, we pray for the revivals that are happening across campuses in the United States where your Holy Spirit is moving, not with megachurch pastors, or celebrities, but with students in unknown places. Your spirit is falling. And we pray that you would fall fresh on us again today. We pray that you would revive us again for the work that you have for us. Strengthen us again in your spirit for all that you have called us to do here in Cornwall, to be a source of renewal and revival and transformation in this city, to see the kingdom of heaven advance. God, we pray for your spirit to fall. 